I want to start today by sharing with you a story from when I was about five years old. Uh, it was during a time when my family uh, lived in Korea and my parents were young Christians. Um, they often like to invite newer believers over uh, to talk about God and, and study the Bible together. And me, five years old, while they ate dinner, you know, and then afterward they had that typical Korean cut-up fruit you know, in, in that table area, uh, I would come and, and I would try... Um, something, 10 times out of 10, whoever comes over to my house, I would try this. I would come up and I would pull on their clothes and I would say, don't leave. You must stay. So it was cute because I was five years old, a little sad, sure, but uh, I was determined to not let our guests leave, okay? And I'm talking about, I had an objective and I was absolutely sold out to, con- like, to accomplishing the goal. Like I would come and like wine, wine and dine them during dinner would you like some water? I'm like spilling all this water. It doesn't matter. I'm just like, do you want water? Offering them all our drinks that weren't even supposed to be offered, right? And I would try to get, you know, verbal consent that they're going to stay. Like, please tell me you're going to stay. Please tell me. I won't leave until you tell me yes. And they eventually say like, yeah, I won't leave for now. And then I'm like, okay, I'll come back and ask you later. I would put on a little show from my favorite movie or cartoon, like a small scene, like a vignette, right, with uh, clothes that I can gather together and and try to entertain them to make them stay. I would show them all my toys, uh, my precious rock collection, shells that I've collected over my travels. Like, I'm talking about, like, it was obvious to see that I was all in. And I don't know why my parents just let me embarrass myself to the full extent, but every guest that came over, I did this whole show, wanting them to stay. Like, it was obvious this kid did not want anyone to leave. I used all of my resources at my five-year-old disposal, right? I also counted the cost, right, to, to, be, to know that if I am, am asking them to stay, I was willing to give up my room. I would bring up a little blanket and lay it down on the living room floor, and I would say, I'm going to sleep here, you sleep in my room. And so we're all set. Can I get your verbal consent now that you're going to stay, right? So that's how intense I was. It was obvious, I used all my resources, counted the cost of what I have to give up, and then even at five years old, it was obvious that I was all in for accomplishing this. And so this is something that I thought was valuable, and I would make sure that the guests do not leave the home. And it's, it's kind of like this for other things too, isn't it? When someone is absolutely bought in, they are all in for something, it is obvious, If anything, you try to keep your eyes away from it because it's too obvious. Like a self-respecting, full-time, 40 hours a week worker is shirtless and painted in in their favorite sports team colors, right? Rooting and and still on the mega mega screen, you know, just like shamelessly dancing. Like that's someone who's all in, bought into this, right? You see someone researching for hours, giving up money to go eating uh, and eating out, eagerly waiting, uh, saving points, to go on a trip to exotic places. Like, they'll eat boxed Lunchables for, like, six months trying to save up to go to Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like, you've seen that. They're all in. You see things that people talk about. It reveals the thing that they're all in about, right? The way they fixate on the things that they're crazy about. And it's so obvious because they constantly drill on and on about this. And I guess the question that that we need to ask ourselves is, is, what is the thing that you value most? What is something that you are all in about that is obvious to the watching world, closest people around you? What is something that you are crazy about? What are you all in for? Three things. 
uh, what are you willing to invest all your resources in? Time, money, friendships? What are you counting the cost for? What do you have to give up? Holiday pay that you're going to give up or, you know, like the hours accrued at your work that you're going to have to give up. You start thinking about who's going to watch your pets and, you know, all the things that you start counting the costs for. And then everything that you're aiming toward this, it becomes a goal. So the things that you're willing to invest your resources in, things that you're counting the cost for, and things that you're aiming toward, these are all things that you have to be fully bought in to commit this much time and effort. Now, it's December 29th today. The year is gone, and I can go on and on about how this year is over. But really, we have just about two days. It's a unique opportunity to stop for this moment and ask, if the thing that we are all in for is the right thing that we're aiming at. Did we spend 2019 running after the right thing? And are we going to spend 2020 running for the right thing? It's a good time for us to pause and and see that because if we see that we've been investing our resources in the wrong thing, counting the costs for the wrong thing, and aiming everything toward the wrong thing, then maybe if we humble ourselves and we ask God for help, that he can help us accomplish whatever it is we are trying to seek in 2020. I mean, you've, you've all heard the saying that if you aim at nothing, you're bound to hit it, right? I used to hear that from my teachers a lot. And so they always asked me to plan and to, to aim. Maybe you've also read somewhere online that people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they always underestimate what they can accomplish in five years. Someone famous said that, right? But The person saying that, that you can't accomplish much in one year, probably doesn't know Jesus. Because there are so many people that, that, that I have witnessed in my life, and I firmly believe that, that if we humble ourselves and we can be all in on the right thing, God can accomplish unbelievable things in 2020. He already has. You're surrounded by people in this very room that within a year of coming to know Jesus Christ, their lives have been turned upside down. And I'm sure they would love to share stories with you on how that came to be. The Apostle Paul in Philippians says, uh, whatever gain I had, this is verse 7, okay, you'll see on the slide, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So he's like, everything is trash, worthless for this one thing. He sounds like somebody who's bought in. And he's saying that Jesus, knowing him, is worth everything. It has a greater worth, knowing Jesus has a greater worth than anything else. And that's what Savior Community Church is about. We were about two things. One, having people come and know the Savior And then being the community that seeks after that. And all that he says, a community that that comes and and knows that Christ has a surpassing worth, a, a greater worth, an amazing worth that the world doesn't know about. And we ourselves don't know enough about. And so we come and then we study and we know. And we want more people to come and know Jesus. That's why we're here. We're building an entire community around that thing. The passage we're going to be studying today, it also shows us how obvious it is, just like my five-year-old self tugging on that, that, that person's clothing to make them stay. It, it's obvious that, that we're all in for something. And the passage shows us that 
what it looks like when we're all in for the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of earth. We're going to look at a series of parables today. Parables are are short stories that that Jesus often used to teach lessons. They're metaphors that compare one thing with another. To all the people that were following him, Jesus would use this. And we're going to look at three parables today, really short, that were told to Jesus' disciples to reveal something about the kingdom of heaven. The first two parables will be very similar, but have slightly different uh, nuances, emphasis, focus. And the third will be a little bit longer, but will teach us something totally different. Okay, let's dive in. Read with me. This is verse 44 of chapter 13. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Pause there. The kingdom of heaven. Okay. Let's just pause for a moment and talk about that. Okay. There's no way to cover everything that is that is in that phrase, kingdom of heaven. But let's just clarify just a few things because it can be hard to understand because the Bible uses phrases like the kingdom of heaven is like blank. But sometimes it sounds like a place. Sometimes it sounds like a, a metaphor, like, oh, it, it's like a, a, a seed that grows. Sometimes it's like a concept. It's really hard to understand if it's an actual thing or a place. So it's hard. So let's talk about it. The first is the kingdom of heaven is most understood or most often understood as, like, equivalent to heaven, right? You want to get into the kingdom of heaven. Like, they, they just use it the same way. But this is because the Bible talks about entering the kingdom of heaven most often, and these are the verses and more that talk about it this way. And then the second most often way that the kingdom of heaven is used is a message, right? The Bible instructs us to proclaim the kingdom. But how can you... If the kingdom is, is a place you enter into, you can't enter into a message unless you're talking about a building where a message is being shared. So the kingdom of heaven seems like a confusing thing, but it makes it even more confusing when, where the kingdom of heaven is something, and the Bible uses like something we can possess, we can have the kingdom of heaven. It's a gift, it's given to us. The kingdom of heaven grows. Or the kingdom itself acts like it, it does verbs. It comes, the kingdom of heaven comes, it draws near. The kingdom of heaven is among people. And so it it could be very confusing. But the the most important thing to understand about the kingdom of heaven is that it comes, it it doesn't depend on any human action or activity to exist. It draws its very character from God. It comes from God. It It is characterized by what God is like. And the term kingdom, basileia, it means reign, rule, and domain. So if you think Disney movie, like you, there's all these kingdoms, but outside of the kingdom, the king is no longer king, right? The king is king within the kingdom. And so if you think about it that way, the rulership or the reign of God, God's activity in the world or where his presence and rule is, where God is king, that's kingdom of heaven. And the central theme in the book of Matthew, now we're kind of, zooming in a little bit to Matthew that you're looking at right now. The whole theme of the book is that Jesus is king. So it follows that when, when Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, he's just trying to draw a distinction. He's saying that, no, it's not earthly kings and earthly kingdoms. It's heavenly king and, and his kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. So he's trying to draw a distinction from the world and heaven. That's what he's trying to do. 
Okay? It is of the heavenly father, heavenly kingdom, not earthly kings and earthly kingdoms. So back to our passage. Verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven, or God's rulership or reign, or his presence or his activity, where Jesus is king, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. And just as a side note, if you're wondering why this person's digging in the ground, right? back then people used to hide stuff in the ground. That was pretty common over all cultures. There was no bank that you can keep stuff safe in, so you would hide it on your land. And so he, he, this man is surprised, though, by this hidden treasure. So he was digging in, his, in the land that he was looking at, and he found this treasure. So he covered it up, went and bought the whole land, sold everything he had, because that thing, the kingdom of heaven that he found, was such a great treasure that it was worth way more than everything he owned, so he bought it, or he sold it all to buy that land. This man is surprised, and so this is trying to reveal, this passage, this this text in the Bible is trying to reveal, Jesus is trying to reveal to his disciples that the kingdom of heaven is unnoticed and hidden, but when it is found, you realize that it it has supreme worth. It is worth more than anything you've ever seen or had or could ever have that it makes this man sell everything he owns. The second parable, verse 45, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So there's this merchant who sells stuff, who's looking for this fine pearl, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this is a different guy. In contrast, this parable is not a guy who happens to be digging in his field and he finds this treasure, but it's a guy who is an expert of selling pearls. And then he finds this one pearl and he's like, all these other pearls, useless. I'm going to sell it all because this pearl is the greatest value. So he sells everything. And he's an expert on pearls. And he's saying this is worth everything he owns. That's the value of the kingdom of heaven. So both men were clearly all in on the kingdom of heaven. Right? One, one was looking and, and the other was not. Right? But once both found the treasure, they sold everything they had in order to get this kingdom of heaven. So what does this reveal for us? The kingdom. Some will be looking for God and his kingdom. Some will be just stumbling upon it. But when the truth about the kingdom of heaven is found, it will be worth aiming everything you have toward. It has the greatest value. And it's obvious that I'm sure many of you have been to church and listened to sermons and you wonder, like, is this really true? It's not like everyone out there in the world knows Jesus and loves Jesus. But the people that do seem to be all in somehow. They bank their lives on it. They spend all their lives and all their hours of every day meeting with people, talking and reading and, and reciting and memorizing. What is this about God that they're so bought in on? And this passage reveals that, yeah, the rest of the world doesn't know because it's hidden. It's a treasure that's buried. It has great value. And once you find it, man, you would sell everything to have it because that's how good it is. It's simply that valuable. The third parable, verse 47, teaches us something totally different, but let's read it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net 
that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And now it's, so now it's a net, right? So you see why it's confusing if we don't talk. So the rulership or the activity of God comes and, and gathers all fish of every kind. Verse 48, when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, the fiery furnace, excuse me. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pause there. This section, this parable section of Matthew's gospel is a transition. This verse 13, I'm, I'm jumping you in right in the middle of the book, right? It's, it's where the proclamation of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven in Jesus. So Jesus being born, we talked about it when, when Christmas uh, Sunday came around, that yeah, the arrival of the kingdom of heaven came with Jesus on earth. But now we're transitioning out of that into showing that, that the kingdom of heaven is going to be hidden for a time. That only some are going to discover its true value and they're going to sell everything to have it because it's so amazing. And, but at the end, once that kingdom of heaven draws all these people, some, some will be good and some will be thrown in the furnace. All kinds of men and women were following Jesus at, at this time. All kinds of different expectations on him. As he taught, some loved his teaching. Some felt like his teaching was too harsh or too confusing. Didn't understand his teaching, but they didn't go and try to find out more. Like, I wonder if I would be more embarrassed by somebody in the, in, in the, in the crowd coming to me saying, I don't know what you were saying in that one part of the sermon, but that really confused me. Can you explain it to me? Versus walking away from the sermon and going like, well, I don't even understand that. But instead, there were some that followed Jesus that really wanted to know what Jesus was saying. And those people understood and they received something that was of greater value than anything else. So all these people were following Jesus and only at the end of the age will God send his angels and they will separate the good and the bad. The people who came with their own expectations, not wanting to accept God as king, but they just wanted something else from Jesus. Or they wanted something else out of life altogether. They weren't all in. Many thought they would uh, see Jesus at that time with miraculous power, overthrow everything, because Rome as a, as a nation were over basically the known world. And so they thought Jesus was going to liberate Israel. Like he was basically going to go John Wick on Roman, Roman people. That's what, that's what they thought. Jesus would break pieces of bread and fish and feed 5,000 people. And he's like, the people were there wondering, like, we were never going to have to buy food ever again. This guy just needs to be around and we'll always be fed. Like, they just thought these miracles were all what he was about. But Jesus had a different idea. Jesus had a different agenda. He wanted to bring his kingdom, his rulership. And that's what he was trying to teach so the kingdom of heaven is supremely valuable, but it will be hidden to most until the time of judging. And this parable highlights that reality. So many would follow, but only a few would understand the true value and have full buy-in. They could be all in. Only a few would be all in. And you see that in the stories, if you read the rest of Matthew, where people are following Jesus, and then at a certain point, he says something that they don't like or he, something happens and they just walk away from Jesus. 
And it happens like that in the church too sometimes. But those that are all in and seeking Jesus for what he values and what he's trying to teach will have something of the utmost value. So what are our expectations? Because we are followers of Jesus and we're here to hear from him. These are his words that we're reading and trying to learn from. What do we think Jesus is going to give us? What do we think salvation or, or coming to church or even heaven? What do, what do we think that's going to give us, provide for us? For me, I don't think I expected a pleasant life after following Jesus. But I also didn't expect life to get so complicated. Like I want to share with you a little bit of, of what I thought, my expectations. And hopefully, as I lay them out candidly before you, maybe you'll connect with some of these. Maybe you'll have different thoughts about what your expectations are when you say you want to learn from the Word of God this Sunday morning. And you want to learn about what Jesus is saying. Maybe you'll inspect. What I think I didn't realize was investing all my resources, counting the costs, and aiming everything toward the kingdom of heaven required so much more of my energy, so much more of my planning, my prayer, and courage that I didn't have. I didn't know, I, got, I recently got married, and so I didn't know that having a better job, which I recently had uh, gotten, um, or a dual income, right, that's cool, so I didn't know getting those things would, would mean that there would be more things that we want. I mean, it's like a no-duh thing, right? You're just like, yeah, more money, you're going to want more things. I get it. But for me, it was like a dawning revelation. Like, yeah, dual income was supposed to be a positive thing, right? But it wasn't just a positive. It was just more opportunities of, of wanting things and accumulating earthly things. I didn't know how attractive these new things would be to me how things like new clothes or, or new gadgets or going to new restaurants or new smart home things or whatever. I don't know what does it for you, but you know, like for me, it was just all these things started becoming more attractive because I can buy them now. I didn't know that, that being married or moving in with my, my, my family would mean every decision on how I spend my time or how I spend a weekend will have to be a conversation. It has to be a discussion and a planned effort to coordinate everything. I didn't know that. So how am I supposed to, if I have enough trouble doing it on my own to aim everything at the kingdom of heaven, and now I have to you know, work with family members and a wife and all of these different things. I didn't know my understanding of being a good husband, a good pastor, a good son, a good brother, or a good man could be in conflict with being all in for the kingdom. At times, they're in conflict. And I think that's really hard and complicated. I didn't know that I was such a bad planner. Yeah, and I didn't think that that kind of weakness could make me so bad at living all in for the kingdom. I didn't. I thought all I needed was my love for Jesus to believe that what he said was true. And required, but it required of me a different muscle, a, a different thing altogether that I didn't have. I think I definitely put off living all in for the kingdom like, like, I wasn't the person who found the kingdom and was like, you know, I'm going to sell everything and like in this parable. Like, I wasn't there because life just got more and more complicated and I put off living this all-in for the kingdom life until I got more settled and entered into a calmer season of life. But you know what the problem with that is? That the definition of calmer season of life changed every other month. For me, it was like, well, and, and before March, when I got married, it was 
just when the wedding is over, it's going to be all in, you know? And the wedding was over, and it's like, okay, after this Savior Community Church transition is over, then I'll be all in, right? And then it was like, well, I just got married. I'm a newlywed, so after I get settled into being married, and when we get a rhythm, then I'll be all in for the kingdom, right? All these different definitions of what it meant to be in a season of calm or peace. And then a death in the family hit us. Then it was like, okay, well, when we emotionally and just altogether recover from this, then we'll just be all in for the kingdom. And this does not mean that, that my marriage or my new seasons of life or none of that is a burden or a chain that drags me down. I'm just saying that these were simply new opportunities and new challenges that needed to be thought through, planned, and aimed all toward the kingdom of God. And I didn't have, I didn't have it in me to do it. Being all in for the kingdom, using all my resources to aim that way, counting the costs and giving up things, denying myself, and then aiming everything to the kingdom, that required a decision every day, a prayerful decision every day. And it required it to be now, not later. And I think I had just been putting it off. And what's amazing is, is that Jesus, he tells us what our expectations need to be. He doesn't just leave us high and dry. And I think we just need to start listening to what the word says about what our expectations need to be as we're following him. And we need to listen sooner rather than later. It will help us invest our resources. It'll help us deny ourselves and count the cost. And it will help us aim everything toward the kingdom of God, which has the greatest value that is worth everything that we ever could own and more. Jesus is of great value. I think the Bible teaches us that. And I don't think we understand how great of a value Jesus and the kingdom is. We take him for granted. Like the first two parables we started with tells us that both men, one that was looking and one wasn't looking who just stumbled upon it, both just sold everything. Can you just pause for a moment and just ask yourself, are you willing to sell everything you own? You know, I'll give you a t-shirt and jeans, right? And underwear. Just you, you have that, right? But everything else, are you willing to sell that for anything? Can you even conceive of something in your mind that you would sell those things for? That you would no longer own them, sign everything away? I think it's a hard exercise for us to even think about. And I get that the Bible, it's a story, it's a metaphor to teach us something. So we're, but where does it say we, we, we shouldn't actually consider? Because the Bible seems to say that these men did it. And the Bible says, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is worth it. And more. I don't think, I don't think I understand. I don't think I even try to plan or think about how I can invest my resources for kingdom causes. I don't know for you, We need to ask ourselves, is there even a category in our minds for what it means to spend for the kingdom of God? Or is that just like theological, just dictionary talk? You know what I mean? Like, like what does it mean to spend money for godly things? Something that would make God happy. What, What would that be? Maybe we need to develop that category. Maybe we need to write stuff down. And at a basic level, then, do we give generously to the church? For me... You know, God, God give, loves a cheerful giver, says in 2 Corinthians 9. And if you can't trust yourself with figuring out how to invest money, which I, I feel like at most times I can't, 
not at a daily level. And so I just give generously to the church. Hopefully we can all aim toward that because that is us surrendering our control and saying, God, yeah, use this. And we're surrendering that to the people you've entrusted that would fearfully try to honor the Lord with money. Do you give? Do you give generously? Do you have a category in your mind of what it means to spend for the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven? Am I convinced that Jesus is as valuable as the word says? And I think there is this, there's a difference between being amazed and, uh, and living faithfully. Right? What I mean by that is, um, try to imagine at, at like Six Flags, right? There are certain rides at Six Flags that I would walk by and go, wow, that's amazing, but I would never get on it. Like, I'm, I'm okay with roller coasters, but you know those, like, it just looks like two steel beams were, like, tied together, and two steel beams were tied together, and they're really, really tall, and it's just one person hanging, right? And they just, like, shoot this person out and back and forth. You know what I'm talking about, that ride? And you see certain people go on it. They pay extra money to go on this ride. I'm amazed by the construction of this ride, but I'm not going to jump on it. I think there's a difference. And I, I can't imagine, a, 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 like, an easier way to describe that to you. But there are so many times where, where the people that, that Jesus is trying to explain himself to, they saw Jesus do all these amazing things, and yet they didn't get it. I mean, what, what did Jesus come here to do? You hear the message of the gospel. You hear that he came to die for the sins of the world. And these disciples that actually like walked with him and, and studied with him, who actually witnessed these amazing things, even them, when Jesus was captured, they, f- they ran away. And so if, if they didn't get it at that point, how can we expect ourselves to? And I think recognizing that, that you're amazed by someone or... or or this idea of the kingdom of heaven being amazing and beautiful doesn't mean that you're committed to it. doesn't mean that you're willing to give everything to live toward it. Those are two separate things. You might, you might have come to church and listened to the message from the Bible and said, those are amazing truths. And you might just walk away having just said, this ride looks amazing, but I would never get on it. I think that's something we need to ask ourselves. What will it take for us, then, to see the amazing worth of knowing Jesus? Jesus says he calls us to deny ourselves. Not to chase after our own lives becoming better, but for the sake of the gospel. In in Mark, um, there's a passage here, and he says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, Right? So this is what we're trying to look for, right? How do we come after Jesus? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What kind of things are you currently denying in order to gain Christ, in order to gain Jesus, to see him a little bit clearer? What are you, are you denying anything? 
If there is no category in your mind of things that you're denying, then it says, if you would come after me, let him deny himself. And you're not doing that part. And so the question would be, are you really coming after Jesus? Are we really coming after Jesus when we're not willing to deny ourselves? In order to aim everything toward the kingdom, I think we need to find a few new things to be denied. Find, Find things that make you think of God a little less and cut it out. Make that decision. Cancel the subscription, like whatever it may be. Just make that decision and do it. It'll hurt, yeah, but it'll be worth it. There will always be new things to be denied in every new season. New things to be surrendered. New things to consider how you can gain heavenly value by giving it up. And none of these things would happen automatically or with casual effort. Like, it's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, you've heard this probably many times, but it says, deny yourself. That's one thing. And then he says, take up your cross. Like, the thing that kills you, take up that and follow me. Daily, not one time. And so it, I, I've found out that I, I needed to count the cost again to make sure I'm doing this daily, constantly. So we need to count the cost. In Luke 14, it says, uh, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Easiest way I understood this was like building Ikea furniture with like missing parts. You boldly enter into building this thing, and then you don't have the necessary parts, and so you have half a TV stand thing, and then your close family members mock you. And say, you didn't even realize you had all the parts. You didn't count the cost. I mean, I say it in kind of jest, but even in a simple thing as building furniture, you look at all the pieces and make sure you have the time to build it. You have the energy, the right tools, all the different components. But where do you look at your life and say, what will it cost me to follow Jesus? What will it cost me? If you don't look and ask that question, no one's going to ask that question for you. What in your life, what in our lives will will we need to give up? Will I disagree with my boss? Will I disagree with my parents? Will I disagree with my wife for the sake of the kingdom? Am I willing to? If I know it goes in direct opposition, or maybe it, it like, takes me off aiming everything for the kingdom, am I willing to, to say no to those important people in my life, the most important people in my life, in order to please God? Will I stand my ground and aim my time here on earth for the kingdom because it's short. Am I following Jesus? How far are we willing to go? What are we willing to deny? What are we willing to give up? What if I know that if I do this action, you know, I lose my promotion that's coming up that, that you know has been lined up for you? What if you know that for sure? What if you know you're, you'll lose your job? If you do it the correct way, that honors the kingdom of heaven, that uses resources correctly, doesn't cut corners, because you know no one's going to find out, but you know God is watching, and that's not what his kingdom is about, and he is king. You don't obey anyone else. Are you willing to? Will I trust? What if I know that, that 
yeah, it will break up the relationship that I have with family members or my closest significant other. Like, am I willing to? It's going to cause heartache. Will I trust God in that? So not just in theory, but in practice of actual things you'll need to give up and the things that will hurt. Ask, am I willing to? I'm not saying go give up all these things, but just ask yourself, are you willing to? And if not, why? What is holding you back? I think about that story I told you when I was five years old, right? You know, the, you guys get it. When I, when I brought those people over into my room and I was like, let me show you my rock collection, right? I was like, man, these guys don't understand what a privilege it is to come see my rock collection. Does that make sense? As a five-year-old kid, you know, you open that box, has like stickers and like names on it and like colored stuff, and you're just like, this rock I got when we went to the Sequoia Canyon. This rock I got when I was diving in the swimming pool, and I barely could hold my breath, but this is, this is the rock that I got. And it's just a piece of concrete, you know, but it's, it's a rock. It's like part of my collection, right? And the thing is, to this five-year-old kid, we're just like, man, this is like the treasure. I don't want to give up. But by the time you grow up, you look back at the thing that you treasured most, and you're like, was this worth it? It has sentimental value. But how do you know the very things that you're holding onto, this box and this treasure that you're trying to grab onto and never let go is keeping you from the real treasure that is hidden from the world, that only some discover it. And when they discover it, they're willing to sell everything and get it because it has the eternal value. There's a, there's a phrase uh, that I've been kicking around in my head as I aim my 2020 for the kingdom of heaven. And the, the phrase was, um, wanting God to be God is very different than wanting God to help me. I'll say it again. Wanting God to be God is different than wanting God to help me. What I mean by that is, and the thing I'm thinking about is, wanting God to be God means that we rest in his rule and reign. We see him as king, and we're okay with that. Not only are we okay, but we're overjoyed that he will be king in our lives because he is king over the universe. Wanting God to be God is to be a created being surrendering to this creator and saying, yeah, the way you designed it, the way that your word says the world and the universe is, I believe in that because you made it and you made me, so I surrender to that. Because if not, If you're not in this camp of wanting God to be God, then you're wanting God to help you push your agenda forward, making your life comfortable, making your life decent and okay. Maybe you're just like these other people who follow Jesus and they just want to be fed and they wanted to see miracles and they wanted a place to belong. But do you want God to be God over your life? Do you want him to be king? Do you want him to be Lord? Do you see kingdom of heaven God's rule and reign, him being king in your life and everything that you see in front of you, everything that you have control over, you're just like, yeah, I'm going to bring it under your, your lordship, your kingship, because you are king. That fact is just hidden from the world right now that you're king, but I know it. So I'm going to sell everything and aim everything toward making that true in my family, in my reality, in my workplace, in my friendships, everything to make that true. It's something we can joyfully do just to see a little bit more of the kingdom, the reality of Jesus being king in our lives. 
Because knowing Jesus and his rulership as king is the way things were intended to be. And we see that at the end, of the, the third parable said that, yeah, it'll separate those people who are good, who know Jesus and his kingship, and the others that don't. They will be separated at the end. So the kingdom of heaven, I mean, the final couple slides here. The kingdom of heaven is worth far more than any of my possessions, any of our possessions. And so let's seek in 2020 to invest our resources for the kingdom of heaven. To figure out what that means for you individually. To discuss it in your DGs and your friendships. To say, like, look, this is how much I make right now. I make $1,000 more than I did last, uh, last year. And I don't know. I, I'm not doing anything different. I just live the same. And so can you help me figure out what to spend it on? The kingdom of heaven calls us to deny ourselves and count the cost so that we can gain Jesus. So let's find ways we can deny ourselves and give more of Jesus' rule, power in our lives. Ask God for the courage to count the cost in 2020 so we can have more of him. Let's ask him that together. And we need more of him because at the end of it, kingdom of heaven is worth aiming everything we have toward, selling everything. And so let's go all in in 2020, just a little bit more for the kingdom of heaven together. As a church, as a family, let's aim toward that. If that's your prayer, say amen. Let's pray. God, we want to pause just for a moment and to thank you for 2019. We want to thank you for all the, do, all the different blessings, the new blessings that you've brought into our lives, the challenges that you helped us through, the ways that you've matured us, the ways that you've exposed our weakness, and maybe all of those moments, those uh, tears of joy and tears of sadness, uh, moments of just mundane boredom, and all of those little things have collectively brought us here together to this moment. And maybe this is the first time we're wondering, yeah, is Jesus real? Is the kingdom of heaven real? God, would you meet each of us in that moment of doubt, in that moment of, of wondering the reality of the universe, would you, the creator God, the only one that can meet us, meet us and reveal yourself? Jesus, if, if the kingdom of heaven is as supremely valuable as the parable suggests, help us, God, to live this coming year chasing after that. We don't have much time and, and we spend most of our lives thinking we have forever. God, would you lead us? Would Savior Community Church be about knowing the Savior in a deeper and more meaningful way? And deepen in, in the realization that the truth hidden before ages has now been revealed in Jesus has been revealed in the Bible and we have the privilege to come and study it, devote our lives to it. 
to be those who discovered the treasure in the field. So help us, God, to invest all our resources, count the costs and and deny ourselves in chasing after you and aiming everything toward the kingdom of heaven. And through that, would you be glorified? Would you be magnified? Would many see everyone who is called by your name Yeah, be so obvious that they're all in for you, that many would be brought to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.